0: You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Trees. Hello my radio friends. Thanks for joining me today to hear and learn more about God's Word The Bible. There's a curious but interesting story in the Bible involving trees. It's found in the book of Judges chapter 9 and from verses 9 to 15 and this is the story. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil, by which both gods and humans are honoured, to hold sway over the trees? Next the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered Should I give up my wine which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? Finally all the trees said to the thorn bush Come and be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees If you really want to anoint me king over you come and take refuge in my shade but if not then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, this is a curious story. And the Bible has many stories and none of them stand alone. All have a meaning and all are profitable in one way or another to help us understand life and or for character improvement. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 and points out that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The trees in the story represent people. Historically, the trees represented the Israelites. You may have noticed that the tree of the highest regard was the olive. The olive was of extreme importance as it provided olive oil used for food, for lighting, the lamps, and for cooking. The tree parable indicates that when the Israelites were hoping to have a king, they chose whom they thought would be the best. In that case, they chose Gideon, whom the Lord used to gain a convincing victory over the Midianite army. The second choice, represented by the fig tree, was Gideon's son. And the third choice, represented by the vine, was one of Gideon's younger sons. All three of these men refused to accept the invitation to be king, saying that what they were doing was helpful and productive. They were not anxious for power or prestige. Finally, the choice was lowered to the bramble, the thorn bush. This represented Abimelech. Abimelech sought to rule over Shechem by eliminating all his opposition, namely by killing all the other sons of Gideon. And you will read this in Judges chapter 9 verse 1. All were killed except Gideon's youngest son, Jotham. Abimelech then became the king of Shechem. Abimelech represents the low-born, selfish, cruel love of dominion over others, born from the love of self, a mere bramble, ready to rule or to ruin, to send forth its fires of lust, to consume all the better principles which will not submit themselves to his rule. The Cedars of Lebanon refers to all of Gideon's other sons, all seventy of them, who were more noble than Abimelech, but all of whom were destroyed except for one. The tree story is a parable using metaphors to describe people. A fruitful, productive tree represents a good person who contributes to society. A bramble or a thorn bush refers to someone who is something of a social predator, more interested in his own selfish concerns than leading others to a higher level of existence. A beautiful, productive tree is an asset it provides shade in the summer heat it provides a resting and nesting place for the birds it provides fruit or nuts as a blessing as food and it is a thing of beauty such a tree is the walnut tree that grows in our front garden i hope that i'm regarded as others regard our walnut tree. Now this story I've just read to you has a personal application for everyone. If I was likened to be a tree, what sort of tree would I be? Would I be just some sort of a prickle bush? Or on the other hand, a fruit tree, giving of itself faithfully bearing fruit year after year without complaint. Would I be a noble, large, beautiful conifer, providing shade or shelter for those in need? What sort of tree would you be? Now, here are some Bible texts to consider. First one says, the righteous Flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. And that's from Psalm 92.12. And then we have this one. Behold, I will liken you to a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and forest shade. And that's from Ezekiel 31.3. And one last one. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. And that's from Psalm 104, verse 16. In my life I've spent some time in the outback, especially in western New South Wales, which has had several severe droughts in recent years. The animals, including cattle, sheep and kangaroos, Seek refuge from the savage sun in the shade of trees. If there were no trees, it would be almost impossible to survive. Just imagine a world without trees. That would be like the Nullarbor Plains. And in case you don't know, Nullarbor means null, which is none, and arbor which means trees. Today I want to share another story, not from the Bible, about a man who beautified a large area of France by planting trees. As far as I know this story is not collaborated by history but it illustrates how a person who simply does good can have a huge And long-lasting effect. It's called The Man Who Planted Acorns and I'm going to read it in the first person as if the author of the story is reading it. He says, About 40 years ago I was taking a long trip on foot over mountain heights quite unknown to tourists in that region where the Alps thrust down into Provence, France. After three days walking, I'd run out of water. I came across a deserted village with clustered, ruined houses that suggested there must have once been a spring or well here. There was indeed a spring, but it was dry. The tiny chapel with its crumbling steeple stood about like the houses and chapels in living villages. But all life had vanished. The wind blew with unendurable ferocity. I had to move my camp. After five hours walking, I'd still not found water and there was nothing to give me hope of finding any. I thought I glimpsed in the distance a small black silhouette upright and took it for a solitary tree. But it was a shepherd. Thirty sheep were lying about him on the baking earth. He gave me a drink from his water gourd and a little later took me to his stone cottage. It was understood from the first that I should spend the night there. The shepherd went to fetch a small sack and poured out a heap of acorns on the table. He began to inspect them with great concentration, separating the good from the bad. When he had set aside a large enough pile of good acorns, he counted them out by tens. When he had selected one hundred perfect acorns, he stopped and went to bed. There was peace in being with this man. The next day he asked if I might rest here a day. He found it quite natural. He opened the sheep pen and led his flocks to pasture. Before leaving, he plunged his sack of acorns into a pail of water I noticed how he carried an iron rod as thick as my thumb and about a meter and a half long resting myself by walking I followed a path parallel to his his pasture was in a valley he left the little flock in charge of the dog and climbed toward where I stood He climbed to the top of the ridge about a hundred metres away. There he began thrusting his iron rod into the earth, making a hole in which he planted an acorn. He then refilled the hole. He was planting an oak tree. On inquiry I discovered that the land was not his and he was not interested in finding out whose it was. For three years he'd been planting trees out in this wilderness. He had planted 100,000. Of these, 20,000 had sprouted, and of this 20,000 he still expected to lose about half to rodents or the unpredictable weather. There remained 10,000 to grow where nothing had grown before. That was when I began to wonder about the age of this man. 55, he told me. His name was Elsiard Bouffier. He had once had a farm in the lowlands. He had lost his only son and then his wife. And he had withdrawn into solitude where his pleasure was to live leisurely with his lambs and his dog. It was his opinion that this land was drying for want of trees. He had added that having no pressing business of his own. He had resolved to remedy this state of affairs. I told him that in thirty years his 10,000 oaks would be magnificent. He answered quite simply that if God granted him life, in 30 years he would have planted so many more that these 10,000 would be like a drop of water in the ocean. Besides, he was now studying the reproduction of beech trees and had a nursery of seedlings Grown from beech nuts near his cottage. I'm going to stop and have a little break and go on straight afterwards. I'm sharing with you today the story of the man who planted acorns, and I'm telling it as if the author who wrote the story was right here, and he says, the next day we parted. The following year came the War of 1914, in which I was involved for the next five years. When the war was over, I again took the road to the barren lands. The countryside was not changed. Since the day before, I'd begun to think again of the shepherd tree planter. I'd seen too many die during those five years, not to imagine easily that Elziard Bouffier was dead. But he was not dead. As a matter of fact, he was extremely spry he changed jobs. Now he had only four sheep, but instead had 100 beehives. He'd got rid of the sheep because they threatened his young trees. For he told me, and I saw it for myself, the war had not affected him. He had imperturbably continued to plant The oaks of 1910 were then ten years older, and taller than either of us. It was an impressive spectacle. I was literally speechless, and as he did not talk, we spent the whole day walking in silence through his forest in three sections. It measured 11 kilometres in length, and 3 kilometres at its greatest width. We must remember that all this had sprung from the hands of this one man, without any technical resources. He had pursued his plan, and beech trees grew as high as my shoulder, spreading out as far as the eye could reach. He showed me handsome clumps of birch, planted five years before, He'd set them out in all the valleys where he guessed rightly that there was moisture almost at the surface of the ground. Creation seemed to come about in a sort of chain reaction. He did not worry about it. He was determinedly pursuing his task in all its simplicity. But as we went back toward the village, I saw water, flowing in brooks that had been dry since the memory of man. The wind, too, scattered seeds. As the water reappeared, so there reappeared willows, rushes, meadows, gardens, flowers, and a certain purpose in being alive. But the transformation took place so gradually that it became part of the pattern without causing any astonishment. That is why no one meddled with Elziard Bouffier's work. If he had been detected, he would have had opposition. But he was undetectable. Who in the villages or in the administration could have dreamed of such perseverance in a magnificent generosity? To have anything like a precise idea of this exceptional character, one must not forget that he worked in total solitude, so total that toward the end of his life he lost the habit of speech, or perhaps he saw no need for it. Some years later he received a visit from a forest ranger, who notified him of an order against lighting fires out of doors for fear of endangering the growth of this natural forest. At that time, Bouffier was about to plant beeches at a spot some 12 kilometres from his cottage. In order to avoid travelling back and forth, for he was then seventy-five, he planned to build a stone cabin right at the plantation. The next year he did so. The following year a whole delegation came from the government to examine the natural forest. Fortunately nothing was done except the only helpful thing. The whole forest was placed under the protection of the state. For it was impossible not to be captivated by the beauty of those young trees in the fullness of health. A friend of mine was among the forestry officers of the delegation. To him I explained the mystery. One day the following week we went together to see Elziard Bouffier. We found him hard at work. In the direction from which we had come, the slopes were covered with trees 20 to 25 feet tall. I remembered how the land had previously looked a desert. Peaceful, regular toil, the vigorous mountain air, frugality, and above all, serenity in spirit, had endowed this old man with awe-inspiring health. He was one of God's athletes. I wondered how many more acres he was going to cover with trees. I saw Elziad Bouffier for the last time in June of 1945. He was then 87. In 1913, this hamlet of 10 or 12 houses had three inhabitants. Everything was now changed, even the air. A gentle breeze was blowing, laden with scents. A sound like water came from the mountains. It was the wind in the forest. Most amazing of all, I heard the actual sound of water falling into a pool. Hope had returned. Ruins had been cleared away dilapidated walls torn down, and five houses restored. Now there were 28 inhabitants. The new houses freshly plastered were surrounded by gardens where vegetables grew. It had taken only the eight years since then for the whole countryside to grow with health and prosperity. On the site of the ruins I'd seen in 19, Now stood neat farms, testifying to a happy and comfortable life. The old streams, fed by the rains and snows that the forest conserves, are flowing again. Their waters have been channelled. On each farm, in groves of maples, fountain pools overflow onto carpets of fresh mint. Little by little, the villages have been rebuilt. More than 10,000 people owe their happiness to Elzéade Bouffier. And that story is by Jean Giono. I posed the question earlier in today's program. What sort of tree are you? And now I want to add this. Are you someone who's making a difference? in this sad and sorry world by quietly doing good? Are you honouring God by your faithfulness and unselfish service? Become an outstanding metaphorical tree. Stand up for what is right. Be a landmark for others that they too may see your good works and give glory to God. So until next time then, I wish you hope, joy and the desire to make a difference in this world by honouring God, your Heavenly Father.